and fellow heirs with Christ. So everything that Jesus inherits, we get to inherit. This is the glory that is waiting for us. And so let's talk about some of that glory, some of that goodness of God that is waiting for us to be experienced. Good morning, XICF. Did you have a good Christmas? Uh, I'm sure in as much as we took Brother Pete's words to heart from last week to make Jesus Christ the center of our Christmas, uh, that you all had the best Christmas ever. I'm so thankful for Brother Pete's exhortation and reminder that Christmas is about worshiping Jesus. So I hope that you had some time this past week to reflect on the splendor and the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Christ's advent, his goodness, that he would come and serve us and rescue us from sin and rescue us from death. Uh, It's my privilege to get to share with you this morning. My name is Daryl. For those of you I haven't gotten to meet, uh, my family used to live in Shaman, um, but we moved to the United States this past spring. So I come to you uh, from the great state of Texas in the United States. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your words to us, for the Bible, for the scriptures that have been handed down from generation to generation, that we remember the revelation that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray as I share these things from your word this morning that you would make them come alive inside of us, that the truth would resonate inside of every person that you have called to yourself. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the things I say that are not in agreement with your word would be forgotten quickly, and the things that I say that are from your word would resound throughout all eternity to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, about this time last year, a little bit earlier, but December uh, of last year, I was asked to share what I thought the Lord was saying for 2020. And the word that the Lord put on my heart was suffering. And uh, I talked with a group of students about suffering and what it means to suffer in the kingdom of God and how Uh, There are different types of suffering that we experience. You know, all human beings experience suffering. It's just a part of our existence as people who are separated from God. We're born into this world without a connection to God in our spirit. And uh, because we were designed to be connected with God in our spirits, we're born into the world broken. We're born into the world malfunctioning. We're born into the world not according to the original design of God for our lives. And so because of that, we all experience suffering. Uh, But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ came to restore us to our original design and to restore us to the place of being able to be connected with God. That when we get born again, we get a new spirit and our spirit's is one with the Lord's Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. So Jesus Christ brings us back into communion with God. 
so that mankind, humanity, can exercise dominion over the earth in fellowship with God. So God has put his spirit on the inside of us and called us to have dominion over this planet and to express his goodness through our dominion on this planet. The problem is when human beings exercise dominion, when they're separated from God and they're not acting in love, uh, that's when we get all of the suffering and all of the pain that we see in our world today. So um, last year, I shared with that group on suffering and how God was calling us to suffer with him, to share in Christ's sufferings. This morning, I want to share on the glory that follows suffering. And I think, you know, there's a, there's a danger if our Christianity is divorced from our present lives. That if we make Christianity all about the afterlife, we become irrelevant in the cultures and societies where we're living today. So God has called us to be the body of Christ, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world that we're living in today. And it's the eternal purpose of God to make everything, everything in heaven and everything on the earth come together in his son, Jesus Christ. So God wants to unite all of heaven with all of earth through Jesus and he has chosen to do that through his church, through us. We become the representatives of God's government. We become the channel that carries God's life to the earth. We are the temple, the living temple of God. The Bible says that when you become a Christian, your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the temple in the Old Testament was the meeting point between heaven and earth. And now you become that gateway uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ. You become indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and you are saved, and you are also empowered to be a royal child of God, administrating the rule of God, the government of God, on his behalf while you're on the earth. And so if we make Christianity only about the afterlife, we... Um, I believe we misunderstand the purpose of Jesus. When Jesus came in Mark chapter 1, the good news, the gospel that Jesus preached beginning in verse 14 was that uh, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So the good news that Jesus was preaching was that the reign of God had come to the earth, it had come near, and that people could experience God as their king, God ruling over them. That was something to rejoice about. In Psalms, it says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. So when God reigns over us, that is a wonderful, joyful thing. And of course, the devil and the world have tried to lie to us and tell us that, no, 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 what you really want is autonomy. What you really want is to be your own king. But the truth is, when we are autonomous, when we're separated from God, when we try to be our own king, it only brings pain and hurt and destruction into our lives and into this world that we live in. And so uh, God is calling us to restore the earth to the original design and for even our own lives to be restored according to the, the pattern and the design of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived on the earth in fellowship with his Father, only doing what he saw the Father doing. So here's the perfect man being filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, 
and doing the works of God as they were shown to him by the Father. And so God invites us into that same life to do the works that he's doing as he reveals them to us, as the Holy Spirit leads us. And that's very, very important for our life here on earth. Our Christian faith is not just about going to heaven when we die. Jesus did not come to just get humanity into heaven. Jesus came to get the reign of God into human hearts so that the kingdom of God might be established on the earth. So there's a danger if we make Christianity only about what happens in the afterlife. Like get your eternal passport stamp, make sure you've got a visa to go to heaven. That way when you die, you don't go to hell. That's really not what the gospel is about. Having said that, there is undeniably, unquestionably, an eternal and eschatological hope that we have as believers, that we have a hope that outlasts this life only. Paul said, if we only have hope for this life, we're to be pitied above all people. So as believers, we also have a hope for eternity. And that is what I want to talk about this morning. It's the glory that follows suffering. So first, we're going to look at uh, quite a bit of scripture this morning. First, I want to talk about suffering. And there are all different kinds of suffering that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. But I want to talk specifically about what it means to share in Christ's sufferings, which is something that all believers are called to do. And then we're going to talk about the glory that follows suffering. The Bible says that Christ endured the cross, uh, scorning, despising its shame for the joy set before him. So uh, suffering is not just for suffering's sake. We endure suffering for a, a more valuable prize, just like an athlete. You know, if you think about an Olympic athlete who wakes up early and is disciplined in everything he do, and he lives his life by a very strict regimen, it's not that he takes or she takes so much pleasure in the strictness of that regimen as they believe that it's worth it for the prize that they will receive, for that glory that they want to get when they win in their sport or in their competition. And so likewise, for us, we endure suffering uh, for the prize that waits us, for the glory that follows suffering. So uh, our key text for this morning was uh, Romans eight seventeen to 18. And I don't know if you read that in the WeChat that went out uh, earlier, but let me read it for you. It says, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, our lives are about God's kingdom. They're about God's kingdom coming now, and they're about God's kingdom reigning eternally. And a key part of establishing God's kingdom on the earth is suffering. Uh, it was a key part of establishing the kingdom of God for Jesus. It was a key part of establishing the kingdom of God for uh, his first followers. It was, it's been a key part of the kingdom of God being established throughout history 
and it will continue to be part of the kingdom of God being established on the earth until Christ returns. This is from Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he says, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And we've talked about many times now, but the kingdom of God is not heaven. So it's important to understand that the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus reigns as king. It's where the king has his dominion. It's the kingdom. The king's dominion is where wherever Jesus reigns. So heaven is part of the kingdom of God. But you can also have expressions of the kingdom of God on earth. And when Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Hebrews chapter 2 describes Jesus like this. It says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So the incarnation, Jesus Christ becoming a human being, becoming flesh, the word becoming flesh was God stepping in to our suffering. God comes and he enters into the experience of humanity. In Hebrews, it talks about that Christ was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So Jesus knows what the human experience is like. He knows the suffering that comes with being a human being. And it's wonderful that God's answer to suffering is not some kind of philosophical explanation of why there's evil in the world, but God's answer to suffering is to step in and to partake of it with us, and to not only partake of it with us, but to take it upon himself. And so suffering was actually even a key part of Jesus's identity. We see it in Isaiah chapter 53, where it describes the suffering servant, that he was a man despised, a man of sorrows. And so Jesus takes this burden of the human experience onto himself so that he might actually set us free from the suffering that is caused by sin. And he comes and he takes that sin upon himself at the cross so that we can be free from the power of sin and so that the kingdom of God can move forward on the earth through those people who surrender their lives to Jesus. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, everyone suffers and there's all different kinds of suffering. Um, There's suffering because of our own foolishness. In the Proverbs, it says, a man ruins his own way and yet his heart rages against the Lord. So sometimes people blame God for their own stupid decisions that bring suffering into their life. There's, there are things that we suffer because of other people's sin. Other people make poor choices and uh, people who didn't make those choices, what we would call innocent people, they suffer the consequences of other people's uh, foolishness or other people's sinfulness. You know, you think about a drunk driver or someone who, who is a victim of murder or uh, someone who's a victim of any crime. It wasn't their sinful choice. It was someone else's sinful choice that brought suffering into their life. And then there's the suffering that uh, just comes from being in a fallen, broken world, a world that has viruses and diseases and natural disasters that bring suffering. And, and there's it's 
impossible to say, well, who's, who's responsible for this? Whose fault is this? And it's the result of the curse of sin affecting the created order, affecting the created world. We see Jesus coming into the world and breaking the curse of sin. So Jesus was able to calm the storm. And I believe that we're going to move into a church age where the church also has dominion over even weather, that we walk according to the pattern of Jesus, that we're able to do the same things that Jesus did, because that's what Christ said. He said, the things I do, you will do also, and even greater things than these. And so we, as the church, are maturing. It's taking a long time, granted, but the church is maturing to become the full expression of of who Jesus is. And if you remember the last time I shared with you, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and that's what that chapter is talking about, that we're all growing up to attain to the fullness of the stature, the measure of Christ, to to attain to mature manhood, that we all become like Jesus was, living out of intimacy with our Father and doing the works of the Father, expressing the rule of heaven here on the earth. So there are all these different kinds of suffering But the suffering that, as believers, we are invited to take part in is to share in Christ's sufferings. And so I want to read some scriptures that talk about sharing in Christ's sufferings. This is 1 Peter verse 14. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So this suffering for righteousness' sake, for the sake of doing what is right for the sake of doing what God tells us to do. When we suffer for that, we're blessed, he says. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 16, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 2 Timothy 1.18 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And in the next chapter, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes this, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And later in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this, beginning in verse 11, 
For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we're, we're, we're manifesting, we become the expression of the life of Jesus. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says, this light and momentary affliction is transient, it's passing. But the glory, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison is going to last forever. This is uh, later in chapter 11 of, of 2 Corinthians, he lists what his light and a momentary affliction was. It says, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received lashes, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And he says, it's just a light momentary affliction. You know, I don't think there are very many of us who have a list like that uh, to compare with Paul's sufferings. And yet he calls it a light and momentary affliction. Sharing in Christ's sufferings is not the inconveniences of daily life where we may be tempted to think that we are quote-unquote suffering. Sharing in Christ's sufferings is when we lay down our own lives so that other people can encounter Jesus. When we are willing to do things that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, that put us in harm's way so that other people can know about Jesus. Jesus Christ laid down his life so that we could be reconciled to God. We share in Christ's sufferings when we lay down our lives so that other people can be reconciled to God. And so returning to our key text of Romans 8, 17 to 18, it says that we are fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what is the glory that is to be revealed to us? Well, since it's to be revealed, <laughs> there is something to be said for well, right now it's it's kind of concealed. It hasn't been revealed yet. As Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, right now we see dimly through a glass, but the scriptures give us clues about this glory. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 18. Moses said, 
please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So when Moses asked to see God's glory, God says, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'm going to speak my name before you. And so the glory of God is his goodness. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, or in the Bible, really, the name of someone was their nature. It's who that person was. When a place was named, it was named for the nature of that place. When we talk about the name of God, it's talking about the nature. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it doesn't just mean that we say this magical phrase in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. It means we pray in agreement for his, with his nature, that we're asking the things that Jesus wants to do on the earth. It doesn't mean that we're asking for what we want, and then we add this magic phrase, and now God has to do what we say. No, to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in accordance with what Jesus wants. And so when Moses asked to see God's glory, God says, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'm going to speak my name so that you you will hear it. And so God's glory is his goodness and his very nature. Hebrews 1 uh, verse 3 says, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the goodness of God. This is what God is like. He comes and he serves and he lays his own life down to save us. This is who God is. God loves us so much that he will give up his own son, his own life to rescue us, that he would take the penalty for our sin, for our mistakes onto himself. And so Jesus takes the penalty for sin and he opens to us the kingdom of heaven and he allows us to become heirs with him. So that's what Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 17 that we just read said. It says that we become heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So everything that Jesus inherits, we get to inherit. This is the glory that is waiting for us. And so let's talk about some of that glory, some of that goodness of God that is waiting for us to be experiences to be revealed. Well, we know that we're going to get a resurrected body, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and we know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So let's go one at a time. Let's talk for a moment about the resurrected body that we are going to receive. Listen to this. This is Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, So you see, we're we're citizens of a different government, citizens of another kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. 
So heaven is the seat of God's government. Remember, the kingdom of God is not heaven, but heaven is like the seat of God's government. Heaven is God's throne. It's where he reigns from. And our citizenship is in that place. It's in the seat of God's government from where God reigns. That's where our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, we are going to get a body like the one that Jesus has now. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first one resurrected from the dead. He's the first one with this new glorified uh, resurrected body, this immortal body. It will never be sick. It will never, you know, get hurt or be injured. It's a perfect body that will last forever for all of eternity. And the Bible says that those who trust in Christ are going to be resurrected and we are going to get a body like the one that Jesus has. And this is part of the glory that is to be revealed. Listen to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 42. It says, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's talking about Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Praise the Lord. Just like we've inherited a a physical body that uh, came from Adam and was passed down through all of our ancestors, and we ended up with the body that we have today, the DNA that we received from all of our ancestors, from our parents, so also are we going to get a brand new spiritual body that will be glorified. It will not be tainted by sin. Those appetites that we have that draw us away from the Lord, those those perverted, twisted desires that pull us away from God will be gone forever. And we will have a body that wants to do nothing but serve God. Every desire we have will be godly, will be acceptable, will be good. Won't that be awesome? Praise the Lord. And not only will each of us receive a new body, but the whole earth is going to be transformed. So we see the transformation on a micro level and on a macro level. Just like today in this life, we see brokenness on a micro level, the brokenness of our own hearts, that we want things that we shouldn't want, that we have desires that have gone haywire. That, that we experience this inner brokenness, this kind of macro brokenness that each human being has to deal with. But then we also see this macro brokenness. The whole world is, is broken. The whole world is messed up. All the systems of the world are just messed up. In 1 John, it says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, that the devil is still creating chaos in this world. He's still deceiving people, and he's still uh, stealing, killing, and destroying, like Jesus described. But that macro brokenness is also going to be done away with when Christ makes all things new. So he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read for you from Revelation chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So the perfect reign of God is established forever on the earth. Let me read. This is from uh, the prophet Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is talking about Jesus. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So the perfect reign of God is going to be established forever on the earth. So this is the the removal revelation talks about that he wipes away every tear from our eye, that he removes all of the pain and all of the suffering, that there is uh, no more mourning, no more crying, nor pain anymore. And Isaiah chapter 11 describes this too, that, that the violence, that the destruction, that the death is gone. Even amongst the wildlife, there is a reconciliation. There is a newness that, that killing and pain and destruction is all removed when Christ makes all things new. And this is also part of the glory to be revealed. This is not life coaching. What I'm, what I'm giving to you this morning is not uh, 10 steps to have a successful life. It's not how to fulfill your dreams. It is a supernatural hope anchored in the promises of God as revealed in the Holy Scripture. And I know that this resonates with those people who belong to God. And I know it will inspire those who belong to Him to lay down their lives, to give up your own goals, your own plans, your own ambitions, and to pursue His kingdom first, and to seek His righteousness established on the earth at any cost. That those people who who are born again, who are born from the kingdom above, who are born of heaven, that you have an eternal, internal desire 
to be part of that reign forever. That when the apostles suffered for God in, in Acts, I think it's chapter 5, it says after they had been beaten, that they left that place rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That you are who are born of God, you desire to share in the sufferings of Christ, that you might also share in the glory that is to be revealed. That when we give an account to God for the way that we lived our lives, that our lives were about the kingdom of God from the moment that we came to know Christ, that we laid everything down to see his kingdom established on the earth. Because that is not, <laughs> that is not temporal. Like Paul said, the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal, but the unseen things are eternal, they're permanent, they're everlasting. And when we give our life to seeing God's kingdom established on the earth, regardless of personal cost, we will be willing to share in Christ's sufferings. Not only that, we will want to share in the sufferings of Christ so that we can share in the glory that is to be revealed so that when we're living in his glorious kingdom, that we will be part of that inheritance that Christ purchased for us, that Christ came and suffered for us and that we have the honor of sharing in his sufferings. Now, if you're listening to me this morning and you're saying, that does not resonate with me, and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. You can open your heart to Jesus Christ right now and say, God, I want to be part of your kingdom. I'm willing to share in your sufferings that I can be glorified with you, that I can partake in that eternal kingdom, that I can have a share, that I can have a, a, a portion, an inheritance in your eternal kingdom. I would invite you just to open your heart to the Lord right now. And after you make that decision to give your life to Jesus, go and tell someone else at XICF. Go find an elder or, or someone that you know there at XICF and say, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ. And if you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized because the baptism is the, the, the right into the Christian faith. It's the symbol of entrance into God's kingdom. Why? Because baptism is a burial and a resurrection. So you get a new life when you get born again. And baptism is, baptism is the picture of that, that you're starting this new life, living in God's kingdom, letting Jesus be your king, that you're not running your life anymore, that you don't want autonomy. You want to be under the reign and the rule of Jesus, that you want Jesus to rule your life. And then the joy of the kingdom is yours. And if you're listening this morning and you're saying, yes, this is resounding on the inside of me. I want to lay my life down. I've been playing it too safe. I've been seeking my own comfort. I've been just, you know, living for my own leisure, my own entertainment. But I want to let all of that go. And I want to be sold out, wholly surrendered to Jesus Christ, no matter what it costs me, no matter what I have to suffer. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to encourage you to respond to God right now. And I'm going to do the same. To say, God, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want to be a burning sacrifice on your altar. Burn up my life for your glory. Let your kingdom be established in my life, through my life. Let's take a moment. We're going to take a moment and respond to God. We're just going to make a little bit of space, just a few minutes, just going to make a little bit of space for us to respond to God right now.
And I invite you to respond to the Word of God. Respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now. you for ministering the word of God to us. Thank you, Lord, for this precious kingdom that you have given to us as a gift, a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your kindness, God. There's no one like you. There's no one so generous, God. There's no one like this. You give us the kingdom. You paid the price, Lord Jesus, that we could enter into the kingdom and share in your glory forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. I'd like to close with 1 Peter chapter 5 from 9 to 10. It says, resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God bless you, my brothers and sisters.